Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Obeska, and I am happy to announce that we have just been named to the top 40 social justice podcasts by Feedspot. So, hey, but in other news, I'm here to introduce our conversation with Reed Davenport, the filmmaker of I Didn't See You There, for which he won Best Director at Sundance. Thank you so much for coming on and for having a chat with us about your wonderful film. Yes, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. As the genesis for this film, this is not your first rodeo at all in the world of film. I wanted to know where you started in terms of wanting to make this particular one. Sure. It's really a very difficult question to answer um, for a lot of reasons. Um, what the film is, what I thought it would be, I didn't know it was a film for a while. Um, and, but I think the idea of shooting the film um, was kind of in the back of my mind for a little while, and at some point it came into my conscience, and I was like, first it was, I wanted to put a camera on my wheelchair and shoot it that way, then it was the circus tent went up, then it was, okay, are we sure this is a film? And then it just kept going and going and incremental sets until, until, you know, we, we had a film. That's super interesting, especially because how that came to be and how you eventually built that up to being a feature. It shows this type of raw perspective as well in your film style. And that forms throughout. And it's really interesting how that comes together eventually in the final product. Did you have a lot of issues once you had all that raw material uh, into forming it into the narrative that you wanted to portray? Yeah, it's so hard. I, be, I believe in the notion that a documentary is found in the other room more often than not, as I don't think this was any exception. Uh, that's why we hired one of the best editors out there, Todd Chandler, to form what I shot into this narrative. Um, we edited, he edited for eight or nine months, which I mean, I thought, I think it's super fast to edit a feature. And um, working with him was a delight. As uh, producer Keith Orson is a creative producer, so all three of us were working together, together to shape this film. And I love how the perspectives come together so interestingly in this film too. You talk about the patterns that you see and specifically looking at the ground and kind of the beauty of just motion. One thing that really impressed me in this was the way that those pieces cut together so interestingly. 
Were all of those intricately cut together in a very specific way, or? Oh yeah, it was it was very deliberate, but also um, that kind of reminded me of Abby. I don't know if you know of Julie but she writes a lot about disability and cyborgs and using a wheelchair is kind of breaking into that cyborg reality in that I can have a completely consistent symmetrical speed. So and it's also like having my own personal diary wherever I go. So I, I think that's also part of it. Also, the ability that I am able to do what a lot of documentary filmmakers cannot do who don't have wheelchairs. It was definitely also interesting to see. I think at one point during the movie, you're talking to a friend and you're discussing that using a wheelchair in a museum is something that you really recommend to them. And weirdly enough, I've had a similar experience myself where I have gone with a wheelchair through a museum on a quite busy day, actually. And for me, it was like people kept bumping into me, kicking my wheels, going like, hey, I didn't see you there constantly. And I was like, Come on, like, I'm in this big chair. How can I still be this invisible? And seeing that back in your overall experience throughout the film, I was like, yeah, it really doesn't matter. People just see what they want to perceive in their daily life when they're going through their emotions. And there is so little in base of society where we accommodate or not even accommodate, where we think of the base needs, not just of people with disabilities, but people in general, how we could make their lives easier or better flow, whether it comes to pedestrian ways or indeed having a cable block your way up to your apartment, where it made me think like, oh, this is this is so, I, this is so recognizable. First of all, this is so recognizable. If we had just in society had the base of it, being accessible for everyone, then everything is more accessible for even those who do not have any disability in their lives. And Ariel and I talk about this a lot, but I really felt that come forward more and more as the film went along and as your experiences were shared. And also you really very rawly, again, like I didn't call it raw because it's so real. Obviously what you show, these moments where you fall over or where you get bumped into or where you have these confrontations. How was that choice to leave some things in or out to make that narrative come across? Well, I, I really appreciate that that. There were things that resonated with her. That means a lot. Um, first and foremost, I wanted to make this film for disabled people. And then also, kind of second priority was making sure or, or trying to give edgy points to everyone that can get into this film, whether it's being, you know, in 
the awkward stage of your life, if you're in your 20s, early 30s, or you're listening to voice bears from home, that, that was really trying to pull people in. I feel like it's, there's a mixture of, of disbelief and, and just not work that I just not being able to really comprehend what I go through when I retell these stories. So I really wanted to prove or, or um, convey the fishfulness of these um, other, I mean, uh, some people say that they are beyond microaggressions, they are aggressions. Um, so I really wanted to convey the, you know, the really, um, not the discrimination, I guess the rejection or the kind of development and devaluation that, that I have experienced. And one of the things also that you spend a fair bit of time talking about within the film is the history of the freak show and how that has served as a metaphor for the way that people interact with disability. I wondered if you would like to say a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, literally the freak show employed among other people who have been historically marginalized disabled people. So I mean, it's literal, and the preacher isn't around in that capacity anymore. And of course, they're staring and gawking, which is part of the film. But most specifically for me, what I have been thinking about for a while is whether my work has unintentionally fallen into the legacy of the freak show, whether I am drawn to making a sideshow, um, ostensibly, uh, I've made personal films that speak about access that speak about the difficulties of, of growing up with the disability and the stigmas. Um, but underneath, I wonder why I am making this work and why people are watching, watching this work. And it may sound, you know, super skeptical or cynical. Um, but, but I mean, the media kind of others disabled people so prominently that there is still this separation. I think it's so hard not to be super skeptical and cynical about the media. I've always said that there's this freak show thing where you're not really looking us in the eye, but then you have inspiration porn where you're putting us on a pedestal and you're also not looking us in the eye. Right. 
because the idea is always that there's some objectification there. And whether you think about yourself differently, because of the way it makes you feel as an audience, it's always a question for me too in my work of how much am I putting my identity on the line and should people like my work because of my identity? And is that what's drawing them to the thing? It's so important to have strong disability representation, but this is such a hard question to answer for me as well. Right, and I don't mean to go down the the, the path of, you know, artistic cliches or say, well, every decision you make is the right decision because you're the artist. But it is a difficult decision. And I, I think as we have more disabled artists, in the forefront, we will see disabled artists making films not directly about disability as well as disabled artists making art about disability. So hopefully that question becomes less and less anxiety provoking. True, true. And it's already interesting to see how we tell our own stories, right? That's definitely also what I hear Ariel say is if we tell our own stories, then we don't become indeed this gimmick where in a movie or a TV show, the disabled person becomes like that's their whole personality. That's the one thing that they have. They're not a person. They're only that disability. Whereas we're full-fledged humans with (laughs) interests and personalities and likes and dislikes and whatnot. And it's interesting how you also included your family in this. Obviously, it's an important part of your life. You have several voicemails of your mom included. How did that for you form the completion of the narrative that you were building? I I think, as you said, it's a part of my life. Uh, And I I wanted it. So, therefore, I think it should be included in my film. I don't think the film would work without my mom, especially as I talk to her and am able to be reflective about who I am. Uh, there's also this tension between me living in California and me living in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And, and that is kind of held by me wanting to be closer to my family. So I think there, there were uh, there were a few reasons why that, that was important to Do you feel also that your family, with this movie, but even without, have the same type of awareness of what your daily perspective is? Obviously not in the full extent because they live in a different way than you do, but I mean more in the sense of do they notice how people indeed may, may, may not acknowledge or notice you or what difficulties you bump into in regular life? Just trying to get from one point in the street to the other, for instance. Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, I really appreciate that they willingness to be in the film. But I'm kind of leaving it at that. Uh, I don't want to um, 
project anything on to them. Understandable. And it's interesting because so many people in our lives become allies to this cause in a lot of ways. And so I just wonder when you go to speak with people these days, are you finding that there's a lot of political will to join you in allyship in some way? Well, uh, it's a loaded question. Um, I never have been completely comfortable with this notion of allyship, uh, especially when people are uh, self-proclaimed allies. Um, I have allies in my life, um, but I also think it can be very performative. Um, maybe I'm not very good at, at reading. I've only screened this film in person about six times. Um, so I, additionally, um, one thing I'm very excited about is that this isn't a film tattooing issue. This is a film about access or actuaries. So, I mean, I, I don't know if, I, if the film is asking for us. It's asking you to not be an asshole. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I mean, that, that, but like, I, I don't know if, if, if this film is a is a recruiting tool to to find allies to put up the fight. Well, I think for a lot of people, just because you're looking through your perspective, it's got more of a transformative power than a lot of other films for that reason. But I did want to say, I think that's the best tagline ever, and you should have told Keith to go with that on the poster. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Indeed. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, we'll, we'll try to yeah. <laughs> now, I also wanted to ask you about one other thing. I saw the open letter that you wrote to South by Southwest sure. about why you specifically would not attend South by Southwest this year. We attended and we spoke on the topic of accessibility in the film and TV industry while we were there. And it's this very strange tension that keeps existing everywhere in the film world where, again, there's this objectification of the work of disabled filmmakers while no access actually exists. We had to rent power chairs to get around at South by Southwest because they weren't going to make things more accessible or easy for us in any place and it was almost impossible to get around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's be honest. At one point, we had to get a personal driver. We did. And a car just to make sure that we could get from A to B and to make sure that we could get to the places that we really wanted to get to. Because even the shuttle bus that they had provided was not exactly offered with accessibility in mind. 
was a lot lacking yeah. from just step-free entrance all the way up to making sure that people had ample time to go between locations, mm-hmm. making sure that locations had <laughs> enough space for those who need either extra assistance or had auditory visual processing issues. Once you got into the bigger halls, there was some stuff done, but yeah, they left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you bringing up the article. Um, I I guess the only thing I have to add is that um, there are problems everywhere, and we need to keep keep you know trying to make this more accessible to everyone. And calling people accountable for the things that they're doing as entities, because I don't think enough people are actually calling them to account for their decision making at any festival out there. Definitely, definitely. You and I were both at Real Abilities, where certainly there was conversation about this in depth and about how we can have these scorecards for festivals so that they know how they're doing. But my question to you is, as you were traveling around with this film, how different was the accessibility question that you encountered at the six festivals that you went to physically? Was it just just to to clarify that six screenings at three festivals? Um, I gotta say, they were all great experiences to Falls, San Francisco International and Hot Dogs. They all granted me electric wheelchairs because I do not travel with my electric wheelchair because you know twenty six wheelchairs per day and just every experience um, they were just so accommodating. So just from, from my end, I've had great experiences so far. That's fantastic. I'm really glad to hear that. One last question. Where do you go from here? What is your next project on the horizon? Sure. I'm making a film with um, more to do films that explores assisted suicide and disability and how the legislation how the legislation being introduced today is going to lead to the premature deaths of countless disabled people. That's a very interesting topic to delve into. I think we're both very, very curious to see what the outcome of that project is. Cool, thank you. Looking at the history of euthanasia in different countries is always a fascinating process. India is currently considering making all forms of active euthanasia legal. But I want to thank you so very much for your time and for this interview. Absolutely happy, happy to come on and talk anytime. That's wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. We really appreciate it. Definitely. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. 
And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch. Mm-hmm.